Blog Talk Radio. God wants us humble, and he uses suffering to humble us. God wants us intimate with him, and he uses suffering to make us intimate with him. God wants our testimony made manifest. He wants our character on display, and he uses suffering to reveal it. God will crank up the grace in your life, and he'll crank up enough grace for you to be able to endure it. If there's one segment of society that understands serious trials, it's families of soldiers fighting overseas, not only because of the possibility of losing a loved one in combat, 
But because of the ongoing struggle of being separated month after month, year after year, well, you might not be in a military family, but you and everyone faces struggles that are uniquely your own, trials of every shape, size, and duration. Maybe you're struggling with finances that constantly come up just a little short, or a medical condition that keeps you from resting comfortably, or a tense environment in your home or your workplace because of your faith in Christ. No matter what you're facing, know this, God can and will sustain you. How will he do that, and why does he? Find out today on Grace to You Weekend as John MacArthur continues his series, Making Sense Out of Suffering. Here's the message. Through the suffering and the terrible depression and sorrow of unfulfillment and brokenheartedness in which Paul uh, was, was literally being shaped, he learned five great lessons. And that's what we're looking at. Remember lesson number one? God uses suffering to reveal our spiritual condition. We saw that in verses 5 and 6. I won't go over it again. Simply the fact is if somebody wants to see what you're really like and the truth must be known, then let them see you in your deepest sorrow, in your greatest pain and suffering. And therein will come out the character that is really there. So it was time for Paul to demonstrate his credentials. The Lord wanted the world to see what this man was made of every reason then to cause him to suffer because it was in suffering that the truth would be manifest. What you are comes out in suffering. And Paul says, you can look at me in verse 6 at the end of the verse, and you can judge me and credit me with what you see in me and hear from me. That's the proof of the pudding. In the midst of the sufferings, what kind of man do you see? Secondly, God taught him that he uses suffering to humble us. Verse 7, twice he says, to keep me from exalting myself that was given me this thorn in the flesh. Paul, as he says in Colossians 2, would not take his stand on visions like so many do. He said, I did go to heaven. I did have a vision. I went to heaven. I came back from heaven. But that's not helpful because all that does is puff up my pride. And so the Lord has to bring along these terrible things in my life to humble my otherwise proud heart. God wants us meek and God wants us humble, and He will even use Satan and his demons if necessary, and He will even use trouble in the beloved church if necessary to humble His servant. So when you are going through suffering, remember, it is here that your spiritual condition is manifest. It is here that you can come to grips with what you really are in Christ and deal with it, and it is here that others can see the true character of your faith. Remember also that in your suffering, you are humbled, you are broken, you become contrite, And when you become broken and contrite, of course, you become useful to God. And He gives grace, He says, to the humble. Thirdly, Paul learned that God uses suffering to draw us to Himself. Verse 8, what did He do? He went to the Lord three times to pray. He drew into the Lord's presence to call on the Lord to deliver Him from this. And this is the right place to go. What lesser sources do men find when they can go to the living God? He faced many trials. He knew where to go. He went to God. That's the right place to go. That's the only place to go, because therein could he find the strength and wisdom necessary. Point number four, God uses suffering to display His grace. God uses suffering to display His grace. Now we're into verse 9, and He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you He has said, by the way, in a perfect tense, which means it was a set answer. He went three times, and three times he got the same answer. Paul, I hear you. 
I know you're asking for the thorn to be removed. I know you're asking for the messenger of Satan to be removed. I understand all of that. I'm sorry, however, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to turn up the grace. Standing answer. God answers not by removing the pain, because the pain was productive. Not by removing the trouble, because the trouble was productive. It really showed the true man, and it humbled him, and it drew him to God. And so God says, I'm not going to remove that. The process isn't over. But what I am going to do is increase the grace so that you can endure it. He gave relief. God gave relief. Not by removal, but by sufficient strength to persevere through the necessary humbling process. In those times is when God pours out the greater grace. In those times, sometimes you, you, you find yourself with an exhilarating joy. I can't, I can't um, say it any better than to say it in the way that it's in, in, in Acts 16 where Paul is in stocks and his arms are stretched and his legs are stretched so the muscles are taut and locked in these stocks and he's kept there in excruciating agony and Paul and Silas are in that condition and you go into the jail and you hear them doing what? Singing. Singing. Why are they singing? Because they have been given sufficient grace to endure it. Sufficient grace. And you're never going to know that grace if you don't have the exigencies that call for it. You're never going to know that grace, and you're never going to know the joy of that grace and the exhilaration of that grace until you have to have that grace. Sure, from a human standpoint, Paul says, get that stake out of my flesh. Get that agony out of my heart. It's, it's depressing me, and it's crushing me, and it's breaking me. And God says, I'm not going to get it out of there. I'm going to leave it there. I'm just going to crank up the grace. And in the midst of the grace, you're going to give me glory, and you're going to endure, and people are going to see the greatness of your God and the strength of your faith. 1 Corinthians 10:13 remind you of this. There is no trial that will ever come upon you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will never let you be tempted above that you are able and will with the temptation make a way of escape. But the Lord will bring trials into your life that you can endure. He will give you the grace to endure them so that in the enduring you experience the great grace. What an exhilarating, what a joyous, joyous experience that is. Deuteronomy 33:26 puts it this way, There is none like the God of Jeshurun or the God of Israel who rides the heavens to your help. Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God will always be there. He'll always be riding to your help, ready to just unload the gushing grace so that you can endure whatever it is that you're suffering. I want to read a couple of verses out of Isaiah 43. Listen to this. Verse 1, I have called you by my name. You are mine, God says. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God doesn't promise no waters and no rivers and no fire. He just promises to be there when we're going through. And the grace is there poured out on us in abundance. In 1 Timothy 1.14, Paul says, The grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Wow. More than abundant. Now, folks, get this, would you please? Here is the cornerstone of Christian living. Here is the cornerstone of Christian living. It is, it is simply this. Listen carefully. You will have trouble. In this life, it is inevitable, and it is useful because it produces the evidence of your true spiritual condition, 
humility, and intimacy with God, and allows God to put Himself on display in His grace. This is the cornerstone of Christian living, folks. You will have trouble. God does not promise to remove it, but He does promise to pour out enough grace to endure it. The word sufficient there in verse 9 is RK. It's enough. You'll have enough grace. You will have trouble. You will have difficulty. You will have temptation. You will have pain and disappointment. But God promises not to take away all that. See, that is the, that's the current contemporary lie that God wants your life to be happy and peaceful and comfortable and successful and satisfactory and prosperous, and it's the devil who wants all the bad stuff. You want to know the truth? It's the devil who would like to make your life prosperous and successful and happy and tranquil because then you wouldn't need God and you wouldn't have to thank Him for anything. The prosperity message is the devil's message. God's message is a message of suffering and grace. God wants us humble, and He uses suffering to humble us. God wants us intimate with Him, and He uses suffering to make us intimate with Him. God wants our testimony made manifest. He wants our character on display, and He uses suffering to reveal it. And the greatest testimonies that Christians ever have in history is when they're persecuted. And the persecution of the saints, the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. God will crank up the grace in your life, and He'll crank up enough grace for you to be able to endure. A songwriter put it this way, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. In other words, you get as much as you need and more. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed or the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power no boundary known unto men, for out of His infinite riches in Jesus He giveth and giveth and giveth again. God just wants to flood you with grace, and there's always plenty. In his inimitable way, Charles Spurgeon was riding home one evening after a heavy day at the church, a day full of work and hardship and some disappointment. He was feeling depressed, and his biographer says he thought about the verse, my grace is sufficient for you. And in his inimitable way, he immediately compared himself to a little fish in the Thames River, apparently lest drinking so many pints of water in the river each day, it might drink the Thames dry. And feeling insecure in that event, only to have Father Thames say to it, drink away, little fish, my stream is sufficient for you. The biographer says, and then he thought of a little mouse in the granaries of Joseph in Egypt, Afraid lest it might also die, by daily consumption of the corn it needed, it feared it might exhaust the supplies of all the corn in all of the silos and starve to death. And then Joseph came along and sensing the mouse's fear said, cheer up, little mouse, my granaries are sufficient for you. Or again, he thought of himself as a man climbing to the top of the Alps, reaching the lofty summit and dreading to take a breath lest he might exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere only to hear the Creator say, breathe away, O man, my air is enough for you. There's enough, and more than enough, and plenty, and you're never going to know it, and you're never going to know the exhilaration of it, and you're never going to know the thrill of it, unless you can just rest in the suffering and let God pour out the grace, and you'll find yourself singing at the strangest places and times. 
and you'll find a peace in your heart that knows no explanation, and you'll find a joy that's disconnected from your circumstances, because this grace is an energy that transforms. It's not in itself a static gift. Grace is an energy that changes you. It's an energy of being flooded with blessing from God that alters your thinking, changes you, transforms you. Yes, Paul was in his deepest suffering, but God was using it to put His grace on display. And that turns you into a worshiper, doesn't it? And God wants you to worship Him. And you couldn't fully worship Him. You wouldn't know the abandonment of joy and the abandonment of heart that Paul and Silas knew in the jail unless you had sufficient grace in the midst of dire suffering. The people who worship God most deeply are those who have been through the deepest water and who have been flooded by His grace. One last point. God uses suffering to perfect His power. God uses suffering to perfect His power. God wanted Paul not just to be a humble man, not just to be a man of prayer and intimacy with God. Paul was not only to be a man of suffering so that God could display His grace, but God wanted this man to be powerful. God wanted this man to to be used to change the world. God wanted him to impact individuals and families and cities and nations. And so we come back to verse 9. Power is perfected in weakness, God said to him when he answered that prayer. He said, my grace is sufficient. And the second part of it was, power is perfected in weakness. I not only want you to go through this so I can put my grace on display, but I want you to go through this so there's nothing of you left. I I want you whittled down to nothing. I want you you down to the point where you have no self-confidence. You have no trust in yourself, where you have no self-esteem in the sense that you believe you're, you're capable of anything eternal. I want you broken down, and I mean he broke him down. You remember part of the accusation against him in, in the Corinthian church was that he was weak and he was, he was contemptible and he lacked charm and charisma and oratorical skill and all of that. And He had been pretty well hammered down to nothing. It was the suffering that crushed out his pride and crushed out his self-confidence that made him powerful. You see, when a Christian gets to the place where he's lost all human ability to deal with his difficulty, he's got nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. When you realize you're weak, when you realize you can't fix it, Paul couldn't fix it. He couldn't fix it. He'd been there. He visited. He sent people. He wrote letters. He couldn't fix it. He had to trust God's power. I mean, he'd been persecuted mercilessly. He'd been battered and hammered. He had not only found sufficient grace, but he'd found that when he was finally crushed down to nothing, he became powerful. You see, when when your human wisdom's out, when your human confidence is out, when your human ingenuity is out, when your solutions to the problems are out, when you have nowhere to go and nowhere to turn, but God, you are now in a position to be most effective. I'll put it this way. No one in the kingdom of God is too weak to be powerful, but many are too strong. Many are too strong. Look at me, he's saying. You can't explain my life. You can't explain my effectiveness. You can't explain my ministry, except for the fact that I am weak and he is strong, because you know I'm not strong. He says, I just want the power of Christ. His weakness was not self-induced. It was God-given. It wasn't artificial. It wasn't a psychological game he was playing with himself. 
It was God-given weakness. He had been literally crushed by God so that he could be powerful. So when we have the deepest troubles in life and we go through these things, we go through those times of unfulfilled relationships and brokenheartedness and unsatisfied desires, and we suffer from those who should love us the most, remember, God is at work. The world can't fix it and probably shouldn't because God is using it to reveal your spiritual character, to humble you, to draw you to himself, to put his grace on display, and to make you powerful. So Paul says, the dominant theme of my life is suffering. Verse 10 sums it up. Therefore, therefore, here's the summation. I'm well content with weaknesses. Well content means I'm satisfied, folks. I am satisfied. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. I'm content. It's a great word. I am content. Perfect contentedness with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. He's not talking about the things that come as a result of our sin and iniquity and disobedience. No. He's talking about those things that come for Christ's sake. They're undeserved sufferings and persecutions that aren't connected to our sins. He wouldn't be happy about his chastenings. He wouldn't be happy about sins. He's, he's not saying that. He's saying, I'm content with all those sufferings that come when I'm faithful to the Lord, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's the way to look at life. And again, I go back to the fact that this is the cornerstone of Christian living. Life is full of trouble, and it's your perspective on trouble that is the bottom line issue here. Running all over the place to have your trouble fixed isn't the answer. Being obedient to the Word of God and letting God do His perfecting work in your life, that's the answer. You embrace your suffering like Paul did. You be content with it. You be thrilled with it. You sing hymns of joy to God for it. You count it all joy because it's having a perfecting work. A few years ago, a song was written that really says it. I'll close with this. It's called The Refiner's Fire. Listen carefully to the words. There burns a fire with sacred heat, white hot with holy flame, and all who dare pass through its blaze will not emerge the same. Some as bronze and some as silver, some as gold, then with great skill, all are hammered by their sufferings on the anvil of His will. I'm learning now to trust His touch, to crave the fire's embrace. For though my past with sin was etched, His mercies did erase. Each time His purging cleanses deeper, I'm not sure that I'll survive. Yet the strength in growing weaker keeps my hungry spirit alive. And then this great chorus. The refiner's fire has now become my sole desire. Purged and cleansed and purified, that the Lord be glorified. He is consuming my soul, refining me, making me whole. No matter what I lose, I choose the refiner's fire. Revealing your spiritual character, humbling you, drawing you to himself, displaying his grace, demonstrating his power, that happens through your suffering. Embrace it and let God do his refining work. That's Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Thanks for tuning in today. John is Chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary, and his current study is titled Making Sense Out of Suffering. You know, John, from what we've seen these past few days, it's obvious the question we should ask ourselves 
isn't, will I ever enter a dark valley, but when will I enter it, and how will I respond? Yeah, I think that's very important. We need to live in anticipation of it. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, trouble. You remember what Job said, man is born into trouble as sparks fly upward. You know, as surely as the sparks off a fire go up, so inevitable is trouble in the life of man. And we shouldn't expect to avoid it. After all, we live in a fallen world, and we ourselves are fallen and surrounded by fallen people. We live in a cursed world. Everything is not going to go the way we want it to go. And making sense out of suffering means you've got to turn to the Word of God, and you've got to go to the source of life and the solution to trouble, which is the Lord Himself. That's what we've tried to help you do in this wonderful series. We've been looking at 2 Corinthians 12, which shows us all how to face the most painful issues of life and be triumphant and joyful in the midst of that. We looked at five purposes that God has in our affliction. Now, all of this that we've been covering is available in a two-CD album. Really important for everyone to know these truths. MP3s are also available and can be downloaded off our website. But you can order the two-CD album today from Grace to You, reasonably priced. Right, and remember this. Whether you are rich or poor, young or old, married or single, you will face trials in your life. And this study can help you get through any kind of suffering and even grow spiritually as a result. To purchase John's series, Making Sense Out of Suffering, on two CDs, simply contact us today. Our toll-free number here is 855-GRACE and our web address, gty.org. The two-CD album is reasonably priced. Give it to a loved one who's struggling or keep it close by, ready for review when a trial comes your way. Again, the title to ask for, Making Sense Out of Suffering. Call us at 855-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. And if you'd like to download these messages to your smartphone, you can do that for free at gty.org. In fact, all 3,500 of John's sermons are available to download free of charge at gty.org. And in closing, let me say thanks for supporting Grace to You financially. We can broadcast on radio and television in your community and hundreds of others like it because friends like you give generously. To partner with us, call 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, inviting you back for next week's broadcast. John's going to show you what the Bible says about heaven. Heaven, that's the title of the study John starts next week. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace To You Weekend.
intellect, obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not Sin is not just toxic, and the clock is going to stop God is not to be boxed with the wrath of God is burning hot We were locked in sin's closet, our conflict was cosmic God plotted to stop and hit the demonic with a shot I was copping narcotics, agnostic with a plot No optics for the knowledge of the God who often not Jesus rocked me with the gospel and it tied me up in knots So I hopped in the rocket and met the prophet at the top, yo That's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures But we just gonna let that breathe for a second, you know what I mean? The Bible says he was been forgiven much, loves much We gonna talk about BC a little bit My depravity was total, not small like pops I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor Say so I know what the time is, but I ain't read Isaiah I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city Philly Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill Lambeer style Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child Went from so gritty, to headed to a gold city In Christ I shine, the world's light no biggie, whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song 112, displayed in John, the way to respond When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man Microwave, wrath of God, fam That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy <laughs> But nowadays, I'm regenerated Born again from above, fam, how else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ Using literary devices to spit is very precise My conversion to the master was so dramatic I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic The gospel was my tonic With Christ I couldn't lose But to walk with God like Enoch I knew I couldn't cruise This walk is a beast But nothing's greater than the cross Saw the mark of the east And the raiders of the laws While Tower Records was choosing to carry G-Unit I was on that revolutionary theme music The brothers from the Lou held it down as well But we noticed the big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the cross Sober, made us all sober Years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say No, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion I love them as brothers in Christ But not their conclusions They want to reach the world by all means Keep pursuing it But tell me why they gotta diss the church While they doing it That's what I wanted to say But I ain't say it though But no more laying low I want them to play it slow And I ain't dissing them My prayers are the proof Like Boaz without Ruth Is unity without truth CHH is like gorillas in the mist With no brotherly love It's like Philly don't exist What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere Cats appear most concerned about a rap career Brothers overseas being slain in the sand While we're vain in our plan Taking fame and some fans And I ain't got time to philosophize Satan got a plot device I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize On top of all that Donald Trump's the president It's all good though Cause Jesus Trump's the president So more than ever I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled And we ain't never gonna stop Word to Corey Red I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration Of theocentric music for the selfie generation See the problem is sin, no riddle in it Cause all sin got I in the middle of it We're mad to praise and truly evil We need to be born again Without a Matt Damon movie sequel In the gospel God addresses our depravity The lamb slain at Calvary The depths of his agony He rose from the grave with the funding grace So when we come in faith He'll bring us up from the sunken place Our sins to crack 
decrepit depths left the mess No rest was left till Jesus put death to death The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history Before the cross, they were saved on credit After the cross, we've been saved on debit Since our champion in the great war suffered We gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffer So welcome to the Still Jesus Project Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left How do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's word and the gospel. I'm often asked, how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Well, my answer is this. You don't. (laughs) Let me explain. We don't take dinosaurs and try to squeeze them somewhere into the Bible. The Bible is the true account of history from the eyewitness creator. So we start with God's word and use it to explain what we see in our world. Starting with the Bible, we know God created everything. Genesis 1 tells us God created land animals on day 6 of the creation week. Dinosaurs are land animals. That means God created dinosaurs on day 6. God also created Adam and Eve this same day, so dinosaurs and humans live together. Discover more about dinosaurs when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
my father's world Oh, let me ne'er forget That though the wrong seems off so strong God is the ruler, yeah And though the wrong seems oh so strong A vegetarian dinosaur? This is Ken Ham, author of the eye-opening book Six Days and Church Compromise. So what did dinosaurs like T-Rex originally eat? Well, most people wouldn't hesitate to say meat. After all, look at their teeth. But what do big, sharp teeth actually tell us? Well, all big teeth tell us is that the creature had, well, big teeth. It doesn't necessarily mean it ate meat. You see, many creatures today, such as pandas or fruit bats, have scary-looking teeth, but they only eat plants and fruit. According to Genesis 1, originally, everything was vegetarian. And yes, that includes dinosaurs, which means T-Rex used those massive teeth to shred vegetation. It wasn't until after sin creatures ate one another. Get answers to your questions about science, the Bible, dinosaurs, creation, evolution, and more at AnswersRadio.com. Listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com.
Dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? This is Kent Ham, head of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Many people don't believe Noah could have taken dinosaurs on the ark. They say they'd never fit. But Noah was told to take two of every kind of land animal, and that includes dinosaurs. So how'd they fit? Well, not all dinosaurs were huge. The average dinosaur is about the size of a bison or a large horse. And even the largest dinosaurs began life small, God lightly sent younger, smaller dinosaurs on the ark. The ark was massive. It had plenty of room for all the animals, supplies, and Noah and his family. So the point is, two of every kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing animal were on board Noah's ark, including the dinosaurs. Yes, dinosaurs were on the ark. There's so much more to discover when you visit our faith-affirming website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
its unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. What happened to the dinosaurs? This is Ken Ham, author of the books The Dinosaurs of Eden and Deers for Dinosaur. We know dinosaurs were on the ark with Noah because he was told to take two of every land animal with him, and that would include dinosaurs. So what happened to them? Well, they likely died out due to human activity, climate changes, habitat loss, and more. You see, animals go extinct all the time for the same reasons. And the world after the global flood was a very different place. Dinosaurs aren't a great mystery when you start with God's word. We find their fossils because they were buried during the flood. Those who survived on the ark, well, they eventually died out too, along with all the other creatures that had become extinct. Plan your visit to our full-size Noah's Ark in northern Kentucky when you go to AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to screw you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest roof. Christ put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to snatch hats from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the great I am. Came a man, came as a lamb and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand in the place of the wicked on the cross.
cross he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in the most exalted King Christ Supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time with the scripture, put the gate is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night and his fright in the might and dominant mixture. See his name at all the renowned, though. When he came for the loss that he found, though, he was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a trick hold on him. Fight for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name par excellence. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the fiber of cosmology, the abba of astronomy, he potter, we a pottery, it's shocking, Jesus died for me, the father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me, whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey, from sovereignty and lottery, to poverty and robbery, to resurrected bodily, apocalyptic prophecy, he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent, it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment, study the development. From Old to New Testament, you'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age, it's relevant. Crisis on its center stage, forget religious sentiments, the center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent, exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated, that severed the relations between man and his maker, and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection, emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam. And even the garden of Eden and from the law So the saints stand and applaud His grace and glorious cause With hands raised, praising His name Singing glory to God Legends of Dinosaurs? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis and the popular Creation Museum. All over the world, there are stories of creatures we call dragons. Now, dragon legends are found in China, England, Utah, Peru, North Africa, Egypt, and Australia. So how could such diverse cultures all come up with the same type of stories? Well, the creatures described in these stories sound suspiciously like dinosaurs. Could these legends be exaggerated memories of when we lived with dinosaurs? Well, absolutely they could be. See, dinosaurs and humans lived together from the beginning, and the last dinosaurs may have only gone extinct a few hundred years ago. Evolutionists basically ignore these legends, but they connect perfectly with the Bible. 
Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and plan your trip to the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change I was thinking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance, even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan, I've changed even since this song began, Lord I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last, you are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past, as long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed Lord. As long ago, as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. When I think about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, never change. 
Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? His death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity His knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin's salary Took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes Who hate truth, the gospel is not fake news Our dead is sin, the gospel Sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed medicine We got the medicine It's still human emergency The serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, stand up If you truly love the son of man Trust, Jesus is alive And his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, stand up Does anybody love the son of man? Trust, Jesus is the king So his people we will sing And forever stay worthy is the to my composition, lots of rhythm but not traditional, kind of different, but God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition, through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition, it's not some fiction, I'm spitting, the son of God is risen, and my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven, Jesus came to unlock the prison, and through the spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician, at times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing, the proposition, it's my suspicion, we drop the mission, not to this, but the word of God, is it not sufficient, the doctrine is that the gospel fixes our shock. Condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition Stand up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man Trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up, does anybody love the Son of Man? in the background like elevator music but we gonna celebrate them relegate them we refuse it they hate christian hip-hop i peep myself they say we too redundant well let me repeat myself what i gotta say almost feels too real estate sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate because yo jesus christ got me in the real estate i'm purchased property i feel like i'm real estate if the father wasn't gracious no sending them again he came straight blameless no sending them again nothing's been the same since no sending them again fakers lack it's fragrance, no sin in them. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent? Let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is gonna spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? is the king, so his people we will sing, and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up?
that is shining with stand up before that we had the song Immutable Vision. If you want to find out more about Shut-In, go to lampmodel.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot C-O. That's the record label, lampmodel.com, Shut-In, spelled S-H-A-I, then L-I-N-N-E. This means you must control it. Check us out at truthbetoldradio.com, truthbetoldradio.com, and also my personal website is Smiles and Stuff. Dot com S M Y L E S A N D S T U F F dot C M Wildstuff dot com. And take it back to the music. This is Goldfish with Stories. <laughs>
my best. Oh, I'll do my best for you. Oh, oh, oh. I'll do my best. I'll do my best.
yeah Man, it's crazy how time flies My mind tries to sit still Thinking how does one define wise Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer Fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder But as the beat plays, they lose wonder After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop you Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra Before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never Never fade, 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 never fade.
that is Saturn Monday, and now just big question, small answer from Richard: Do animals have rights? Here, I'll take the rights. Question, especially if you're a member of PETA, do animals have rights? Let's see what the Bible says. Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let humans rule over fish, birds, cattle, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Human beings are image bearers, and we can subdue which is why it's okay to put up a mousetrap or kill a cockroach that is messing with your property. But the Bible says more. Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. We have now two Bible verses that seem to be a bit at odds, but harmonize rather nicely. Animals, the planet, they are here for us to subdue and joy. And according to Acts 10, mm, eat them because they're so tasty. And yet, the Christian with a tender heart does not abuse animals. Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it, the most Eminently spiritual men display great delicacy toward all living things, for the man who truly loves his maker becomes tender towards all the creatures his Lord has made. So on the one hand, we can eat, we can call the exterminator to get rid of the pests. Why? Because we're doing our job of subduing the earth by building a home and manicuring our lawns, but we don't kick dogs. We don't lock up little cows in pens so that we can have more tender beef. No, we take care of animals. But that doesn't mean that animals have rights. Three implications. Number one, there's a big difference between something having value, animals do, and something having a rights. Number two, if the image of God isn't our basis for determining what creature should have rights, then who does? Does a mosquito have the same right as a dog or even as a human? No. And finally, the Bible clearly shows that God loves and cares for animals, so that indicates we should as well. So with all due respect to PETA, we take care of our animals. We do not abuse animals. And yet animals are here for our benefit and for our enjoyment as we obey the command to subdue the earth, which is our right. Big question, do animals have rights? Short answer. The Bible teaches that animals are under the subjection of man, but should not be treated with cruelty. Making professional videos is neither inexpensive nor easy, which is why... That is for Wretched, and you can find them on the YouTube page as Wretched, W-R-E-T-C-G-D. Thanks for listening. Tributal Radio, and see, now, also say, this is Darling Mystery, 
Fußschein. Ja, tschüssi, toll.
once again, that is fairly mystery that is uh, with, with featuring, let's see what's this, featuring Quentin, so Q-U-I-N-T-E-N. And next one I do, let's play something else from Wretched. This is called Pastors Who Have Moral Failures here on Tributorium. Let's talk about pastors who have moral failures. Question number one, when we see that happening, what what am I to make of it? It's a pastor who's been faithful with the word. We're not talking about the wackadoodles. We're talking about faithful preachers. So it depends on the nature of the failure. If it's a moral failure uh, or, or even a doctrinal error of, of, of a secondary or tertiary type, uh, you might think, well, you know, he, he's messed up or whatever. But if he's abandoned the faith or uh, fallen into just rank heresy, like gospel-denying heresy, Scripture's pretty clear they went out from us. If, he, if he's departed the faith, that's what it's talking about. Not that they left the building, but they left the faith. Uh, if they went out from us, it was just to be made an something that might lead people questioning, thinking that, let's say, a moral failure of a sexual nature, not a big deal. I don't think it's not a big deal. I would disqualify a man from ministry permanently because Scripture says that kind of sin leaves a reproach that cannot be blotted out. And the first requirement for a pastor is he has to be above reproach. So uh, he can be forgiven for that sin. And then I've known, and you and I both known pastors who've fallen into immorality and then repented. They can be forgiven for that sin. They can be brought back into the fellowship and, and partake communion with us. What they cannot do again is stand up and lead the church. All right, so you're not saying we're judging their eternity. We're just saying they right. they no longer have the qualification to be in that position, and so they are disqualified. All right, but what do I think of it? Well, how do I react to it? Because it's a little unnerving when somebody that you thought was really solid, a preacher of the word, does that. Yeah, it is. It's more than a little unnerving. But if you if you study the New Testament, you realize it's just not an uncommon reality. I mean, Judas betrayed Christ. He abandoned the faith as vehemently and, and emphatically as it's possible to do. And uh, Paul wrote about Demas, who loved his present world and forsook him. Did he forsake the faith? You know, I, I don't I don't know. I'm inclined to think, yeah, he probably did, because he was aligned with the Apostle Paul. He had so much light available to him. Right. But you, you, in fact, Paul said at one point uh, that all who were in Asia had basically forsaken him. Were, nobody stood with him. And all right, so I see the pastor. I've been admiring the pastor, benefiting from the teaching, and all of a sudden, whoop. Help me walk through my emotions so that I don't find myself asking big, bad questions. Right. It's normal and and right, actually, to be grieved as if, uh, on the same level as if there, you suffered a death, death in your close family. And betrayed. Yeah. I mean, because it is. Yes. If, if you've been, you know, it's a public guy or to the local pastor and or both, it is a betrayal. It is. And it's, it's like, uh, I suppose, 
of suicide in that it involves both grief because you've lost a loved one and a feeling of betrayal because yeah. Yeah. it was his fault. Uh, this is from the Cripply Gate. The Cripply Gate. What's it called? Cripply Gate. I see. And who are these people? Most of them are uh, Master Seminary graduates. I know. This is young pastors. And fighting from falling. Now, this applies to young, old, doesn't make any difference. This, well, frankly, this applies to all of us, doesn't yep. it? Number one, none of us are above a fall. That, there's your take heed. Right. We ought to be content about being obscure nobodies in pastoral ministry. That's counterintuitive these days. It is, but it's, it's absolutely true. Clay Potts. Yeah. Right. Number three. Before stepping into a pastoral position, we need to do everything possible to have currently qualified and recognized elders affirm our qualifications. That's not the way many churches do it these days. No, right. In fact, there are scores of churches out there that were planted by young men who left the church because they were dissatisfied with the style of church leadership or the style of worship or whatever. They just decided to go off on their own and just declare themselves a pastor and start a church. And often... That ends in disaster. A robust sound theology of sanctification is central to ministry longevity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how easy is it for the pastor to neglect his sanctification process? It is, it is surprisingly easy. I mean, you'd think that somebody who labors in the Word not daily, preparing messages and all of that, it would be, it'd be easy. But it is actually, I think, hard. Um, I don't know, the carelessness, busyness, the cares of ministry, the other things. It could be confusing soul care of others with not caring for your own no soul. Question. I mean, I'm doing the stuff. If you're reading the scriptures for a sermon and trying to be clever with how you handle it, and that's what you're thinking about rather than reading the scriptures and saying, Lord, speak to me through this. When a pastor takes a moral tumble, it is an issue of discernment. When a pastor appears to begin the process of apostatizing or has put the pedal to the heretical metal, wow, I could be a rapper fellow, it is an issue of discernment. Moral to this particular story, it is fine to feel bad if you have been betrayed by a pastor. Second moral, you're praying for your preacher. He too is a man who can be tempted. We need to be making sure we're doing everything we can do for the pastor, including praying like nobody's business, so that our preachers never take a fall. Making professional videos is neither inexpensive nor easy, which is why... Which is why you can find that at wretched.org and also on YouTube at wretched, W-R-E-T-C-A-T-D. Let's talk about that. It's funny because it goes out. Like uh, on the videos, it's like the microphone is moving away so they can't talk anymore. That's uh, Todd Friel, in case you don't know. S-L-T-O-D-D and Friel, F-R-I-E-L. And... Thanks for listening to Free Tour Radio. Gonna do another song. This is called Song of Sweet Song Salvation here on Trophy Tour. I love to tell the story. 
Please. 
Radio, uh, go out with via VLE by Yanti Friends, and bye for now.